Good afternoon, I'm Al Cresta. Today we celebrate the Feast of St. Alphonsus Liguori, Doctor of the Church. And uh, joining me to explore the life and spirituality of St. Alphonsus Liguori is Marcus Peter. Marcus is a friend, a colleague here at Ave Maria Radio. He hosts Unveiling the Covenants, which airs Saturdays at 11 and Sundays at 9.30 on the Ave Maria Radio uh, stations. He also serves us as Director of Marketing. Good to see you. Thank you, Al. Likewise. Yeah. Very good to be here. It's always it's always weird introducing uh, friends and <laughs> colleagues like yourself, because I know you so well. Right. But listeners don't, so it's important to do this. Right, right. Uh, you know, you've pointed out before, and it occurred to me today, that you uh, you spent four years uh, with the Redemptorists. Mm-hmm. What was your status there? What were you doing? So, uh, post as, uh, aspirancy, I was accepted as a postulant for mm-hmm. the first two years. And then after that, I was a novice for over a year, branching into the fullness of the two years. Okay. So I spent the first two years of postulancy in Singapore and uh, with a short stint in India where we did a mission trip. And then I was sent to the Philippines. And largely through most of the Philippines, but we were based in Lipa Batangas. Okay. Now, the Redemptorists are built off the charism of St. Alphonsus Liguori. Is that right? Yes, very so, much so. Uh, tell us just quickly who the Redemptorists are. So the Redemptorists, it's a shortened version of their longer name, the Congregation of the Most Holy Redeemer, or uh, Congregatio Sanctissimi Redemptorist. Mm-hmm. And they get their name from the the Bible verse that, that St. Alphonsus Liguori appropriated for his congregation. And it had to do with them combating what was then the Jansenist era or the Jansenist heresy, which was that if God wants to save you and if he endows you with grace, your will, the human will, has no power in the matter, absolutely. Yeah. It, it, it's, a, it's kind of weird nod towards some kind of double predestination of sorts. You yeah. know, if God's going to give you this grace, you're, you're done for. If he doesn't give you the grace, you're done for. And when Alphonsus heard this, he thought to himself, well, that's A, that's ridiculous, but B, we... God's grace warrants within us a true response. So Psalm 130, verse 7 to 8, uh, in the Lord there's fullness of redemption, is where he gets the verse, copiosa gotcha. redemptio. Okay. So that, that's where redemptorist comes from. So when, when he founded the, the, the congregation, he had been raised in a kind of upper middle class life. So when he founded the, the congregation, he realized that there was such a need for the proclamation of the gospel amongst those who A, were uncatechized, but also B, even amongst the clergy who were completely lukewarm. So he, he saw, we were we were constantly trained with this weird adage, the preferential option of the poor. Yes. And uh, I guess what that meant was take the gospel where the gospel isn't heard. I, yeah. th- that's the expression that I got from Alphonsus. So that's the co- the congregation in a nutshell. Okay. Let's talk about uh, St. Alphonsus himself. You've mentioned already he was raised in an upper middle class environment. Right. And um, Tell me a little bit, what, what do we know about his uh, home and his uh, up home life? So uh, he, he was born and raised in the larger area of Naples, Italy. Now, I will say this. I've never been there. I've got a mental idea on a map of where it, uh, what, what it looks like, but I've got no clue what the area looks like. All I do know is this. We'll ask <laughs> Teresa next time. We'll see if we <laughs> she talks about <laughs> Naples all the time. So, um, so uh, having been brought up in Naples, he was given the finest of schooling. His father was a naval officer. His father was apparently known to to be somewhat stalwart and headstrong, and Alphonsus inherited that. He was the first of seven, mm. and he apparently showed great promise intellectually from a young age. So this man was going to be the one who carried on the legacy of the, the Gori family. Yeah. 
from a young age, his father pushed him into the study of the harpsichord, and he became a master at age 13. Really? At 13, he was playing at the level of a master. I mean, this, this man was just achieving things nonstop. The only reason he didn't become a good shot because shooting was a common practice of the upper middle class was that he had bad eyesight from a young age. Huh. He graduates with his doctor, uh, doctors of, uh, of law. He, he became a lawyer at a very young age. Uh, scholars debate the age, but we do know this. By age 26, he was already a practicing, flourishing, and tremendously popular lawyer. Okay. And he tries this case where he was the elite counsel, and we don't know which side he was on, whether he was for or against. All we do know is that he made some error. And the version, depending on versions that you've read, the versions I've read posit some kind of corruption in the level of the judge or posit some kind of mistake on Alphonsus. All we do know is that he was completely devastated, yeah. and he was concerned that this, was, this would impute some kind of dishonesty honesty on himself. So he left the legal profession. After wow. all of his professions, he, he just got up and said, world, I see you now, courts, you will see me no more, and he walked out. <laughs> and he never went back. Well, did, he, did, he have a, um, did he sense an immediate vocation to priesthood, or did he wander for a while? Well, until age 26, we do have records of him living. It, it, the, the accounts don't say debauchery, but he was living a rather public life. Okay. It was described, you know, partying and whatnot. Yes. But after this event, he started visiting the poor in hospitals. And he started going to church just a little more. And it, so it was post this event that he hears the words, leave everything and come serve my church. And he hears this twice. And because of that, he commits himself to the life of the gospel, eventually becomes a deacon, then a priest. And in a short amount of time, was forcefully made bishop. <laughs> really? He, he didn't want it. In fact, when he founded the congregation, one of the tenets of the congregation was that in our simple vow of poverty, we will deny all ecclesiastical dignities, including the Episcopal office. He was the first to break it. (laughs) (laughs) Not through his fault. Oh, and then even after after prolonged health issues, he had rheumatism in his older age, and he applied to resign. The the Pope back then, I think it was Pope Benedict XIV. Yeah, Pope Benedict XIV. He he said no. (laughs) He held him on for some years before he finally said, fine, I'll accept your resignation. Wow. So, So this was a great man, and I mean, Al, one of the things that I loved about him was he never wasted time. So alongside the evangelical councils of poverty, chastity, and obedience, Mm -hmm. he took upon himself a further oath. He swore this oath called the Oath of Perseverance. And the Oath of Perseverance for him was he would never waste a minute of time. So he spent his younger years constantly traveling into what he called the missions, preaching. And as he got into age 49, as he slowed down, he realized that there was a need to put things on pen. Mm. So he wrote his first work, The Visits to the Blessed Sacrament and the Blessed Virgin Mary, at age 49. By the time he was asked to stop, by, his, uh, by that time he wasn't the head of the, the order anymore. By, his, by the head of the order then, he was well into writing 60 over books. And that's not even counting uh, letters and everything else. So yeah. in the Redemptorist congregation, we, they say that it's about 111 things that he has left us to study. Well, yeah, go ahead. well no, he, he's also known, known as a very uh, rigorous moral theologian. Absolutely. And his moral theology was the great corpus that he left us. Alphonsus Liguori, owing to his upbringing, possessed some kind of scrupulosity that got a little bad as he got older. Mm. But he never let that taint the way he viewed the theological corpus. So when he wrote his moral theology, he did. He, he strove, you can really see it in the writing, he strove very hard to stay away from complete asceticism, but at the same time, not not falling to some kind of liberal morality either. Yeah. He yeah. really 
emphasize the work of God's grace in com- converting us into holiness. And that's probably one of the reasons why his moral the- theology for the time that it was written was such a work of genius. Yeah. He's also known for his devotion to the Blessed Mother. Oh, gosh, yes. Tell uh, us about that. I, so, I remember reading, before I was a Catholic, uh, I think it's Glories of Mary. Yep. And I can remember saying to myself, I'm not sure how I should understand this. This is a little over the top for me. He uses uh, words like slavish devotion to the Blessed Mother. I yeah. mean, th- those are not words for someone who's anti-Catholic. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> in fact, when I read that, I was already Catholic and in seminary, and even I thought that this is a bit much. <laughs> Un- until you really come to understand how he viewed his total helplessness at the grace of Christ and therefore at, at the feet of yeah. this mediatrix of all grace who is Mary. Yeah. Uh, in fact, when you read Uniformity to God's Will, which isn't actually written as a Mariological work in his mind, you can really see the Marian undertones. He's writing this as if Mary was thinking it. Yeah. The only way to happiness is complete conformity and uniformity to the will of God. So all of his works, I mean, a lot of his works, they're not very long. You know, they they, they really, they, they go up to 20, 30 pages by our averages nowadays. Yeah. Uh, but they, they, they're such rich reads. And it, it's one of those things that's made me ponder because I've heard Jesuits tell, back when I was in seminary, tell us Redemptorists, that Ignatius can't hold a candle to Alphonsus. And if only the Redemptorists spoke about Alphonsus as much as the Jesuits spoke about Ignatius, the world would know him better. I think that's very, very interesting because you're right. Uh, he is not nearly as well-known no, as he Ignatius. Isn't. And, of course, we've got the Ignatian, Ignatian spiritual exercises. Mm-hmm. People go. Uh, is there any parallel uh, exercise in the tradition of St. Alphonsus Liguori? Actually, yes. And it's, uh, So he wrote the Alphonsian spiritual exercises not just as a means of a a present kind of approximate exercise. He also wrote it for a one-year program. Well. He, he came up with 12 virtues to focus on throughout the year, and it's meant to be cyclic for the rest of your life, and uh, each one for the month, obviously. And so the Alphonsus, the Alphonsian spirituality always ordered one of moving away from vice into virtue. So there, there was a similar kind of examine that one ought to do, mm. but that examine had to be done throughout the whole month diligently. And then you, you you were called to to listen to the voice of the Lord, to sit in the presence of the Lord, and then to document how you're growing in this, to journal this, wow. and then you move on to the next virtue. And then when you come back to January the next year, don't imagine that you've perfected that virtue. Start yeah. all over Start again. Start over again, yeah. yeah. Uh, of his works, uh, what were you most impressed with? Or what had the most impact on you? I think it was really uniformity to God's will. Yeah. Or, okay. I mean, different versions will translate it as uh, conformity to God's will. Okay. The way he writes about how the fleetingness of our earthly desires not only compels us to misery, but also completely draws us away from the greater magnificence of what God calls us to, it is what made me realize that this was a man who was, whose heart was completely given to God, and he saw the joy of it. Yeah. I mean, he, he wasn't without suffering. His rheumatism crippled him so much that th- uh, for, the, for the remaining decade of his life or so, he could only drink through a straw. Oh, It, it was awful. And, and yet, he was known for exuding this joy in the Lord. In fact, because he lost so many of his faculties, his congregation fooled him into signing a document that kicked him out of the congregation. <laughs> That's got, what? Why? 
Well, uh, what was the story there? Well, they, they they had plans and ideas for the expansion, growth, and continued development of the of the congregation. And this old, aged, retired bishop who was rheumatically crippled, who was completely unable to function anymore, would serve no purpose in leadership. That was their mentality. So, wow. and they literally tricked him into signing it. It, it was pretty awful. I think, if I'm remembering correctly, I think he died in a state of being excluded from the congregation. Oh, that's terrible. And yet he exuded this joy in the Lord. He kept a skull on his desk to remember that from ashes to ashes, from dust to dust. Yeah. Wow. Uh, Fifteen seconds. What are the right emperors best known for? Uh, A mother of perpetual help. I mean, I could could talk a whole hour on that. But they're also known for preaching parish missions for the sake of revitalizing the life of the church. Okay, very good. Marcus, thanks. Thank you, Very good. Glad glad I had you here today for uh, St. Alphonsus the Glory. Thank you, Al. Again, Marcus Peter, uh, who is host of Unveiling the Covenants here at Ave Maria Radio. He also serves as our Director of Marketing.